There we go. Welcome, everyone. Well, because of these restrictions that we're living under right now, we're still a small congregation here in the building. But the numbers meeting with us online are more than we've ever had pre-pandemic in the church, at least in my time. So thank you all, despite quite a lot of disruption from what we are used to. Thank you all for remaining faithful in your attendance. And I welcome you here. If you're new, please drop me a line if you are new and let me know who you are and if there's anything we can do to make you feel part of what God is doing here in Bigger and Black Mount Churches. My contact details are on the description of the video. This morning, it being the last Sunday in the month, we celebrate communion. And if you're at home, please do get your bread and wine and juice ready before we get to that part of the service, which will come after the sermon. Our first hymn this morning is one that addresses God, our Savior, declaring how much we need him in times of both joy and pain. Now, I'm not certain of your circumstances today, but you can be sure that whatever they are, God is here among us to give us his comfort, his forgiveness, to encourage us and to guide us in his ways. If you're at home, please sing with gusto. And if you're here in the building, please stand and consider the words of this hymn. Let's stand. Yeah. 
be seated. Let's approach God in prayer. Let's pray together. Call us now out of the darkness of despair, out of situations where we feel we are trapped, out of our complacency and routines out of falsely thinking that we have everything under control. Come, Holy Spirit, and set us free from fear and shame and selfishness. And fill us with your life, your compassion, and your peace. We pray now the prayer that you taught all who would follow you. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Sharon is going to come and read for us. And before she does come and read, I need to let you know that sadly, Sharon's last week is upon us. She's moving on to Dumfries. And I've asked her to say a few words before she reads and before she leaves us, Sharon. So, yeah, sadly, today is my last day in Bigger. Um, this is answered prayer, except I think God didn't get the instructions because it didn't actually involve leaving Bigger. But it is. <laughs> so after 15 years, my path is taking me elsewhere. But Bigger will always hold a special place in my heart, especially this Kirk. I remember the first time I came to this church, and this was before Mike and Jane arrived. I was a new Christian at the time, and I thought, right, off to church I go with my little Bible. I'm, I'm set, because that's what Christians do. Unfortunately, the experience reinforced what I thought about church going. It was unwelcoming, it was dull, and even after a couple of months, I still didn't know anyone. And I think the only person I spoke to was um, the Reverend as I left. <laughs> and I left each week wondering, is that it? Is this what the point of it is? 
And I thought, okay, well, if that's how church is, then I would just do church myself. Who needs a church? So I gave up and I stopped coming. A few years later, I noticed a new name on the board, Mike's, but I still wasn't convinced. I thought, what's a change of name? But then I suppose the Holy Spirit must have had a word in my ear and said, go on, try again. So I came along and what a difference. It was such a lovely, warm welcome. Jane said hello to me right away and I just felt it was such a warm place. And since then, I've never looked back. And I finally realized how important church family is and to be part of something bigger. Excuse the pun. Over the years here, I've grown as a Christian, thanks to the hard work of Mike and Jane and the amazing courses I've been lucky to be part of with many of you who've made it a wonderful thing to be part of as well. Their passion for sharing Jesus in the community shines through in all they do. And it's because of this church that I know wherever I go now, I'll be going to church. So if you're at home thinking, is church really for me? Will I like it? What's the point? Then come along to Bigger Kirk and find out just how good it can be and how warm this church family has grown to be, how much they care for one another. And really, what I really want to say is a massive thank you to you all, but especially Mike and Jane. I will take you all with me in spirit. Thank you. This week's reading is from John chapter 11, verses 1 to 44, NIV UK version. The death of Lazarus. Now a man named Lazarus was ill. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay ill, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is ill. When he heard this, Jesus said, this illness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed where he was two more days, and then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you were going back. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. Jesus comforts the sisters of Lazarus. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. 
Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odour, for he has been there for four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth round his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. This is the word of God. Amen. Sharon, can I say how much an encouragement you have been to me since you have been a, a member of Bigger Kirk over these last few years? I've really appreciated your enthusiasm, your willingness to get involved in those groups that you mentioned, your reflections on my sermons and encouraging me, and your willingness to help out whenever you've been needed. And I know that wherever Sharon goes, God will go with her, and he will bless you as you allow him to guide you. Let me pray for Sharon. Lord God, we thank you for Sharon. Thank you for the way that you have moved in her life, for the way that you are moving in her life. We pray your blessing on her as she goes from this family. She will still be connected to us as our sister. And Lord, we pray that you would use her to bless others. And Lord, we pray especially for, for Kevin at this time and his illness. We pray for your healing in his life. Lord, bless this whole situation in which Sharon finds herself. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing once more the song, Lord, I lift your name on high. Well, obviously we can't sing, but this song has actions. And we can do the actions. We can still move, okay? And I think Ruthie and uh, me and Sophie might come out and help me do these actions. Could you do that? Come and stand at the front. You're not going to be on the camera because the, the video will be on the camera. It's only people here in the congregation will watch you. Yeah. 
Okay, this is how the actions go. Lord, I lift your name on high. Okay, can you do that? Everybody stand up. <laughs> Lord, I lift your name on high. Lord, I love to sing your praises. I'm so glad you're in my life. I'm so glad you came to save us. Okay? You came from heaven to earth to show the way. Is that right? Is that how it goes? From the earth to the cross, my debt to pay. Okay? Those are nails on, in Jesus' hands. From the cross to the grave, from the grave to the sky, Lord, I lift your name on high. Got it? Okay. People at home, you got it? You can sing. You had to do both. We, we only have to do the one, which is much easier, I find anyway. Okay. Let's do it. Very expressive, even though you can't sing. <laughs> well done. Let's pray before we turn to reflect on God's word.
thank you for the witness of scripture thank you for these different apostles that you have chosen to speak to us about you thank you for their different perspectives and this morning we thank you for john especially we pray that as we open your word together that your spirit would speak to us and that we would be enabled to walk in your way even closer to you than ever before we pray this in jesus name amen I'm assuming this morning that we have all been to our fair share of funerals. I'm not so certain about the kids. Ruthie, have you ever been to a funeral? No. How about you, me and Sophie? No. But most of us adults have been to our fair share. I've been to more funerals in my lifetime than I would have liked. No, but no doubt there are going to be many, many more funerals for me. The passage that we have before us this morning is about a funeral. It's about the funeral of Jesus' good friend Lazarus in the village of Bethany. The event that is recorded here in our passage occurs near the end of Jesus' ministry. And the funeral concludes with a miracle. The miracle of the resurrection of Lazarus, this friend of Jesus. When I read the account of the funeral here, I imagine it to have been more like funerals that I have witnessed in Thailand than the ones I have experienced anywhere else. Here's a couple of photos from funerals in Thailand. There in Thailand, funerals, there are no funeral, funeral directors. So when someone dies, the first people to be notified are family and neighbors. And family and neighbors will be the ones who come from miles around to attend the funeral that will last up to three days or more. And it doesn't matter if the deceased was a Christian or a Buddhist. Everyone comes to pay their respects and to be part of the event. Family and friends will gather to build the coffin. They will be the ones to wash and prepare the body. They'll be the ones to make mounds of food for the armies of guests. And they'll be the ones to be on hand day and night to look after the immediate needs of the family. To be a shoulder to cry on, a hand to hold, or to be someone to fetch whatever is needed. In a Thai funeral, the coffin is put on a plinth with flowers and wreaths and fairy lights and burning incense all around it. And the immediate family members sit on the floor in front of the coffin. And the others who come to attend the funeral will sit facing them. And they'll crawl forward... They'll crawl because to stand, to put your head above anyone else's head, especially the head of the person who is in the coffin, would, would not be respectful. So they crawl forward to approach the family, to express their condolences, and to put money into their hands to help with expenses. 
And there's always loud music playing. And for a Christian funeral, there are services every day in the evening for three days before the final funeral service and the burial or the cremation. This, for me, is the picture that comes to mind when I think about what is happening there in Bethany in John's Gospel. Mary and Martha are sitting in front of the crowd of people that has come to console them. They've sent word to everyone they can think of, as, as you do. You don't want anyone to come to you later to say, I'm sorry, I, I didn't know. And Mary and Martha told Jesus, Jesus, who was Lazarus's best friend, they told him, even before he died, that he was seriously ill. They knew that Jesus had healed many other sick people. And Mary and Martha are confident that Jesus would be able to do that for Lazarus as well. But sadly, they are too late. And as it turns out, Jesus deliberately didn't come in time. That's something that is puzzling about this story. There are many things that are puzzling about this story. But Jesus does eventually come, and Mary and Martha both want to see Jesus. Presumably, they want to see him because they want to share their grief with this one who loved all three members of their family. They want to console him as much as to receive his consolation. And at the point where Jesus comes, the body of Lazarus is already in the tomb. The funeral per se has already taken place, but the grieving process had only just begun. There was a tradition among the Jews that we find prescribed in the Talmud that goes something like this. You're to weep for three days. For three days you are to weep. And in those days, before the advent of medical science, there was the possibility of a seriously ill person actually reviving within those three days. So perhaps weeping here might also include prayers for revival. But after three days, the Talmud prescribes that weeping should turn to lamenting. For after three days, you give up hope that this person could be revived. So you take the weeping up another level, and lamenting is to last for seven days. And after that, for yet another 30 days, mourners were not allowed to have their hair cut or to wear ironed clothes. Some, some of us must be in mourning all the time, especially me. <laughs> Well, even though the funeral had already taken place, mourners were still coming to show their respects. When Jesus arrives outside the village, Martha, being the big sister, and therefore the host, is the one who is told that this most important guest has arrived. And she leaves her place there at the front and goes out to greet Jesus. Maybe she isn't sure that Jesus hasn't yet heard that Lazarus has died. So she wants to be the first one to tell him. 
Martha comes to find Jesus. Now, you may remember Martha from Luke's gospel. Martha was the sister busy in the kitchen when Mary sat at Jesus' feet and listened to his teaching. Mary is commended by Jesus, and Martha is somewhat chastised by him there in Luke's gospel. But here, here in John's gospel, Martha is the one who shows she has been attentive to Jesus' teaching. Martha is the one with the strong faith. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. The first thing that Martha says to Jesus when she meets him is, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I wonder what you make of Martha's words. Is Martha complaining that Jesus did not come when he was summoned? Or is this one of those what-if moments that all of us have occasion to engage in when we're presented with tragedy? What if... What if I hadn't gone out that morning and instead had been there when X fell and broke her hip? What if I had driven Y to school instead of making him ride his bike? What if Jesus had only been here? Both Martha and Mary say exactly the same thing. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Martha and Mary had probably discussed their what-if conjecture between them. Is Martha's statement here true, though? If Jesus had been there, would that have prevented Lazarus from dying? Jesus certainly had healed others when they were on the point of death. Would he not certainly have done the same thing for this man whom we are told he loved so much? Perhaps, but perhaps not. Perhaps Jesus would not have healed Lazarus. Jesus didn't heal everyone who lived in Israel at the time that he walked the earth. Jesus did not just randomly walk around fixing every need that he came across. That's not how things work with Jesus in the Gospels. And it's not how things work with Jesus now, I would contend. We get an indication of how things do work, however, from what we see earlier and later in the passage. Earlier, Jesus waits on his father God's prompting before going to Bethany. Father God prompts him not to go and not to heal Lazarus. And later, before the resurrection miracle, Jesus prays out loud. And the reason he prays out loud, he says is so that those around him will know that he's not performing this miracle of resurrection on his own, 
but that he and his father are working together on this. His father hears him, he says, and vice versa. According to John, the writer of this gospel, this miracle of Lazarus' resurrection and six other miracles that happened before this are not just random events, not just Jesus going around fixing things. These six things and this miracle are all signs. They're signs that point to who Jesus was and what he has ultimately come to do. And this final and climactic sign points to the fact that Jesus has power over everything, even death. Not just for Lazarus, but for everyone. And this final sign could not have happened unless Lazarus had died. So no, Martha, you're wrong. If Jesus had been there, Lazarus still may have died. It's all very tricky, though, isn't it? And sure, with hindsight, we can say that Martha was wrong to have expected Jesus to heal her brother. But at the time, it was a perfectly reasonable expectation of him. And knowing what to expect of God and what not to expect of God is not always easy. There are no formulas involved where we can say if a situation is like this, then God must do that. It's not like that. If I have a need, be it a dying friend or the need for a parking space, if I pray in faith, then must God do what I ask? No, yes, I, I need to pray about these things. I am commanded to pray for all my needs. But from experience, we all know that it doesn't work like that. It's not a formula. Life is not following through on formulas and coming out the other side with predictable and predetermined outcomes. Life is not like walking on a straight highway in the sunshine. Life, Jesus says in verses 9 and 10, is like walking at night. And as he says elsewhere, it is like walking not a highway, but a narrow winding path. And at this point in the bigger story of Jesus, the path that Jesus and his disciples were walking was progressively getting more dark and more and more narrow and more and more windy. In order to walk this narrow, winding and darkening path, Jesus says to his disciples, we need light. And the light that we need, according to Jesus, is that relationship with the Father God. That relationship that he had and that the disciples and us as disciples can have too. 
as we trust in him, as we find ourselves in him. This relationship with the Father, this following the light in the dark, has at this point led Jesus to a very puzzling place. It's led him to wait two days to come to Bethany, having supposedly missed the opportunity to turn things around for this family, this family that he loves so dearly. But this relationship with the father that he has has also opened up the possibility of something even better happening. The possibility of resurrection. The possibility of this amazing climactic sign of what is coming in the kingdom of God. Not just for Lazarus, but for the whole world, you and me included. Following Martha's what if moment, Jesus tells her in verse 23 that her brother will rise again. Now, Martha thinks that he's talking about the general resurrection of the dead, something that all good Orthodox Jews believed in Martha's day. Jesus doesn't come back at Martha and say, as you might expect, no, Martha. I'm not talking about that. I'm going to do a miracle right now, and I'm going to raise Lazarus from the dead. No, Jesus' comeback are these words. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. These are words with which I, as a Christian minister, have become very familiar over the years. They are the words that I say before we commit someone's body to be buried or cremated. These words of Jesus are the substance of our Christian faith. These words and the promises contained in them Make the difference between a Christian funeral and any other funeral. These words make the difference between death with hope and death without it. But it isn't only life after death that Jesus is talking about here. Jesus is also talking about life in the here and now. Jesus begins this statement with, I am the resurrection and the life. What does Jesus mean? Why does he say it in that order? Shouldn't he say, I am the life and the resurrection? Shouldn't he be saying, believe in me in this life and then you will have resurrection when you die? But Jesus says it the other way around. I am the resurrection and the life. Meaning that there is no true life. There is no true living. Until we have experienced him as our resurrection now. It all comes down to experiencing him. 
or in his words, living by believing in him. This life, this resurrection life is not about a belief in a set of propositions. It's not about being good enough to make the grade. It's not just about joining church. Living by believing in him is about knowing him, living life with him as our constant companion and guide. In living by believing in him, we experience resurrection and new life right here and right now. But of course, Jesus' words here also have to do with what happens when we die. According to Jesus, those who die trusting in him will never really die. Or more precisely, the death that we encountered when, when our bodies wear out, when we have that unthinkable accident when we contract a terrible disease or when we develop an uncurable condition, that death, tragic as it is, is not lasting. Jesus compares it to sleep. Sleep is sometimes a blessed relief. But Jesus speaks also of waking people from sleep. Death, tragic as it is, does not have the final word. There awaits the believer a resurrection to new life. And this is what we hold on to. And this is what our Savior promises us here in his word. It's no wonder, therefore, that Jesus asks Mary at the end of what he says to her, do you believe this? It's the question that maybe I should ask too every time that I join with others at a funeral. Do you believe this? Please believe this. Because on this belief, everything else, every other hope in life or death either stands or falls. Do you believe he is the resurrection and the life? So what does this passage tell us about living into resurrection? Well, it speaks to us of how to walk in this present age, walking in the dark on narrow winding paths, but walking with God as our constant companion. That is resurrection life in the here and now. But this passage also tells us of what awaits us. It tells us, I believe, that though death is tragic and death is heartbreaking, it is not something we need to fear. May God grant us the faith of Martha who can say to Jesus even in the face of her brother's tragic death 
I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is come into the world. By believing in him, let us go on in this life and the next to be bold Easter people, sharing the hope that we have with others, that they too may know the one who is both the resurrection and the life. Amen. And may God bless to us this reflection on his holy word. Please remain seated as we prepare for communion and as we reflect on what we have heard in this next hymn, The Goodness of God.
When I was a child in Sunday school, I remember being asked to pick a favorite Bible verse to memorize. I also remember that I and many other of the boys in the class cheekily chose this verse. Can you pull that up? This verse in John's Gospel, that is part of the passage that we just read, because it's the shortest verse in the Bible and the easiest to remember. As an adult, however, I think this verse is actually one of my favorite verses. Not because it's short and easy to memorize, but because it tells us something profound and comforting about the God we meet in the face of our Savior. Jesus wept. This is not the only time Jesus weeps in the Gospels. In Luke, he weeps over the city of Jerusalem as well. And in the letter to the Hebrews, it says that when he prayed, Jesus often cried and shed tears. So this isn't just a one-off. This tells us something fundamental about God. God weeps. The God of the universe, the one who flung stars into space, the one who is from everlasting to everlasting, cares so much that he weeps. But what is it that Jesus weeps over in this story? Is he weeping because he misses his friend Lazarus? That might have something to do with it. Is Jesus weeping for his friends Mary and Martha who've lost their brother? And is he weeping for the people who have come to console Mary and Martha? That too might partly be Jesus' reason for weeping. But the context of the verse indicates that there is something more going on here. In verse 33, only two verses before, it speaks of another emotion of Jesus on this occasion. It says that he is troubled. He is troubled. That's a verb in Greek that is usually translated angry. Jesus is angry. I think what these two verbs are showing us is that Jesus is deeply unhappy he is both deeply sad to the point of tears and he is angry Jesus is angry and sad because of the way that death has such a sway on the affairs of human beings Jesus sees his friends Mary and Martha devastated by the death of their brother. And he sees the whole community gathered around them weeping in loud lamentation. He sees their utter despair in the face of the fragility of life. God is sad and angry about death. And he always has been. Death, we are told, was brought into the world as an alien. Death came through sin. And in the Christ event, an event that God has planned from the beginning of time, 
God comes into the world to do something about death. Jesus comes to put to death, death, finally and fully. Here in the story, Jesus goes to the mouth of the tomb where they have carefully placed Lazarus. He has the people roll the stone away with tears of the moment just before still wet on his face jesus shouts in a loud voice lazarus come out the passion that drove jesus to this point has not changed it's the same passion that will compel him to the cross in just a couple of weeks time and it's his compassion not for himself but for you and me and all the sons and daughters of Adam and Eve that will compel the Father to raise him from the dead. Paul, in his first letter to the Thessalonians, tells us that it is that same passionate shout that Jesus will use at the end of time for each and every person who has known him. He will come, according to Paul, to shout for us to come out and meet him and live in his kingdom forever. As Jesus did for Lazarus, he can and he will do for us. And he will do even more. Lazarus's new life in this instance was not permanent. But the life Christ raises us to will last forever. This that we celebrate today is a representation, a representation of the passion of Christ. It is both his sadness and his anger and his joy. Let us remember him in this that we do. And let us live fearlessly into his resurrection life now and look forward to life that will have no end when we shall meet with God's people in the kingdom of his son. Brothers and sisters, this table is open to all who would come and eat with Jesus and his family. If you are a visitor to our church and you love and you trust the Lord Jesus, you are welcome to join with us in this special meal. Now, of course, we'll do things a bit differently this morning for obvious reasons because of this pandemic. When it comes to eat the bread, since no one is serving us, we will eat it at the same time. And that symbolizes our unity. And we will do the same when it comes to drink from the cup. Let us hear the words of the institution of the Holy Supper of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul writes in his first letter to the Corinthians, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, 
This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let us pray. Gracious God, pour out your Holy Spirit on us and upon these your gifts of bread and wine. The bread we break and the cup we bless may be the communion of the body and the blood of Christ. By your Spirit, make us one with all who share this feast. United in love and ministry in every age and in every place. For we pray in and through our one Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The things of God for the people of God. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Happy are those who find refuge in him. The Lord Jesus, on the night of his arrest, took bread And after giving thanks to God, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples. Take, eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. same way after supper he took the cup saying this cup is the new covenant sealed in my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins whenever you drink it do this in remembrance of me Every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the saving death of the risen Lord until he comes. I'll leave you to share the peace afterwards with one another in person if you have physical companions at home. Or if you don't, maybe at a social distance at the door or maybe on phone or by Skype or whatever social media you prefer. But let me share with you the peace. Christ is the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. At this point in our service as part of our worship, we would usually gather up our offering and dedicate it to God. But because of the pandemic, we aren't able to do what we are used to doing. But I am acutely aware that folks are still giving and still giving sacrificially 
in a way that is helping us as a church to carry on ministering God's name in our community. So can I say a big thank you on behalf of both Bigger and Blackmount churches for your giving. If you'd like to find out more about giving, then please do drop me a line and I'll fill you in on the details. Let's pray now to dedicate our offerings of money, of time, and of talents to God. Almighty God, giver of every good and perfect gift, teach us to give to you all that we have and all that we are, that we may praise you not with our words only, but with our whole lives. And now we bring our concerns for ourselves and our world to God. Lord, as we and our country begin to open up from our lockdown, we look forward to meeting with friends, going shopping, having a meal or a coffee, we thank you that we have come to a place where it is safe to do these things. But we also remember those who may still be feeling anxious about entering a shop, coming to church, or even stepping out of their front door. Lord God, bless us all at this time and help us to care for one another Help us to understand the needs of our neighbors and friends. And not to stand in judgment about what they do or do not do. We pray for organizations, shops, cafes, and restaurants as they prepare to open. We pray for the needed human resources and skills to help them open safely. And we pray especially for our Gillespie Center. May it once again be a place where folks can meet with each other, but also meet with you through the love shown there by our volunteers and staff alike. And as our country faces this blessed relief, we remember places in the world where things seem to be getting worse rather than better, where poverty and the lack of comprehensive health care systems it means people are being infected and dying now more than ever. We remember specifically today the nations and the peoples of India and Brazil. Lord, have mercy and bring relief where it is needed. Lord, inspire nations like our own and the people with power here to positively respond to requests of assistance. And once again, Lord, we lift before you those who are grieving today. Those whom we know and those who are strangers to us. Inspire us, your people to boldly and sensitively share with all our grieving friends the hope that we have in you, you 
our resurrection and our life. For we pray in your name. Amen. We end with a resurrection hymn. Christ the Lord is risen today. Brought to you by our friends at New Scottish Hymns. Could you please stand? Across the grave, the skies. Ah.
Let's receive God's blessing. Come out, Jesus commands, and calls us from our tombs into the brightness of a new day. Come out, Jesus cries, and unbinds us from the chains of our past. Come out, Jesus calls. And entices us into a world filled with grace and new possibility. Therefore, let us, as the Easter people of Jesus, go out. Go out into a world that needs our life, our breath, our spirit. Go out into a world that needs the spirit of God. Carried on our lips and in our loving arms. And the blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, rest and remain with us all evermore. Amen.